Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. An incredibly slow week. In the world of college football, nothing, as we say hello to you on, on Wednesday evening, Tom and Keith with you. And I'm not sure what we're going to discuss this week, Keith, other than the fact that FSU beat Miami again. Steve Spurrier quit, resigned, retired. No, he didn't retire. He uh, What was the term he used? He left. He left. He did that. Uh, Florida lost its starting quarterback. I mean, it, it was a quite and – then, and then there's the issues at USC – other than that, other than that, it's been a pretty slow week in the college football. And and part of the Miami game to bring it full circle is that Dalvin Cook, whether nationally people want to put him there or not, is going to insert himself into the Heisman conversation. Uh, I know that's being led; it's sort of a a one candidate conversation right now with Leonard Fournette. But uh, if Dalvin keeps up what he's doing, uh, you're going to have to get him uh, to New York City at least, or at least at least talk about him. So where do you want to start with all that? Well, I think we'll uh, go in a natural, uh, maybe not biological order, but just natural Sequential? Order. Eh, we'll start with Miami. How about that? Okay. General thoughts. Uh, it's been dissected a little bit. I mean, I'll give you sort of the, the Cliff's notes, and this was my takeaway, and it's pretty much what I've heard and seen written about or opined since then. Florida State was very close to running Miami off the field there in the first half. Had red zone issues. Weren't able to do it. Uh Credit Miami for not packing up and uh, and folding up the tent and heading home. And, uh, it, you know, it got interesting in the end. I think Florida State is the better team than Miami. Uh, but that game, had it had a great atmosphere, and ultimately FSU wins by five points. It reminded me of some of the old-time FSU-Miami games. A couple of three things. If Miami was more or better respected, then it would raise itself up there to a classic you know the mere fact that they were three and one coming in they're three and two now they're they're not going to be thought of nationally uh in the same way that those miami teams that played in this rivalry game prior however the same components are there uh i think everyone was sitting there after the first quarter going wow this is what fsu's offense can really be Golson comes out, completes nine consecutive passes to start. Uh, I think we also saw what Jimbo would not want to talk about, but what he wants his team to get into. He, he, he needs for this team to have some red zone issues so that they know they have to work hard in practice and in the weeks ahead to overcome those. He needed this team to get behind. They, this Florida State team had not trailed a single minute in, in any time during the season. So a comeback drive, a fourth quarter drive, uh, what does that feel like? What do you have to do to make that uh, happen? And then maybe the bigger thing is coaches always talk about what they left on the field. Uh, Tommy, you and I were talking, this could have been a 21-24, 31-point margin of victory very easily. As you alluded in your opening comment, Florida State very nearly at the point of running Miami, but they didn't. So what do we got to do now to have that killer instinct? A lot of negative things in one game that that Coach Fisher probably wouldn't want to tell you he wants an all-in-one game, but some negative things that will end up being positives, in my opinion, as the year progresses. Yeah, I wouldn't call it killer instinct. I think in the Wake Forest game, Jimbo was looking for that killer instinct to finish him off. And the way he phrased it is guys were hoping to make a play. Whereas against Miami, they were you know confident they were going to make the play. I would I would 
classify it in terms of the situational, the poor situational play or red zone play. It's just poor execution, really, uh, for the most part, whether it's <clears throat> the fourth and one. I like the, I like the decision to go for forward on fourth and one. I didn't particularly uh, like that call, but that's easily said. I didn't, after like, the e- fact, I didn't like either of the calls. Yeah, a- after Either of the calls? You mean the Third decision? Third one or fourth and one. Okay. Yeah, it's easy to say that after the fact, but I liked the the aggressive idea to go Agreed. for it there. It ended up backing up Miami and Florida State came back and got the field goal anyway. But yeah, there were you know going back to what you said about Jimbo now has some things to sort of nitpick and fine tune with his team to get their attention. That's that's dead on, and I can tell you when when you saw him uh, post game when I taped his TV show on Sunday. In general, um, he's he's pleased. Because he knows how good they can be now. In other words, he's seen certain aspects of it, but he really was, you know, they moved up and down the field, did a lot of things. Yeah, you're not happy that you missed in the red zone, but he's now looking at, well, what if we clean up the red zone? That's an offense that was going to put 45 or 50 on Miami. Because prior to that, you were going, can we run the option? Can Golson throw the ball down the field? Can this offensive line protect him? Can we do this? Can we do that? Well, now you know you can do this, this, and this, and it narrows the list of things that you need to work on. And again, repeating myself, there is no substitution practice-wise or other from looking up at that scoreboard in the fourth quarter and being behind. And you mentioned uh, hoping that you can do it versus knowing that you can do it. I'd go one step further. You have to do it because if you don't, you lose. And you can't mimic that. You cannot replicate that in practice. It was the first time Florida State fell behind all year. You know, now we'll go into the defense hasn't been on the field yet when they've been trailing because the offense came right back and answered. So the defense still hasn't been in that position this week. Uh, and we'll talk about this with with Tim when he joins us. Will be an interesting week. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious uh, and has been pointed out that a hangover effect could well be in play. And even you know, you're coming off a rivalry game, an emotional win. Louisville's had a bye week to get ready. It's a twelve noon start. Dalvin Cook's hamstring. I'm just going by how I feel when I get up in the morning. Probably feels better later in the day than it does earlier in the day. Not that he's not working with the trainers, but I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of things pointed to this game this Saturday being a dogfight for four quarters. And going back to to segue in, I said Wednesday last week there was no way Dalvin would play people I talked to as late as Friday said it's it's iffy you know a normal person doesn't play in that ball game I mean that that to me speaks to whatever it is Dalvin has it and I think the bigger thing and and I made the the backhanded comment uh, last week that I was never fast enough to pull a hamstring so certainly I was never in a position to know that I was about to pull a hamstring and therefore I could shut it down but when he came up lame on that long run I jumped up and went it's over he snapped it it's done you know the stereotypical you pushed it too far now he's going to be out six or eight weeks and for him to know that a cramp was coming on or that it was just tightening that is beyond my understanding of physiological things about the body Jimbo Jimbo said he's never had a player that uh, went down you know, preventative in that in that situation. So it was, it was amazing to see it, and then he came back. I want to uh, shift the focus a little bit to the Miami side of the coin here because uh, that that game to me, I mentioned, it felt like old time Florida State Miami. In many respects, it felt like old time Florida State Miami, where FSU outplayed Miami, but Miami won at the end. The difference was FSU won at the end. Now, and I think you know a lot of that is is Jimbo will coach aggressively. 
Uh, I love Bobby Bowden, but there were times that, that he, you know, he was not his best at, at the end of games in well, a lot of big and, games. And his and, staff, and you and I talked about that. You you had corrected me, and you I had said that maybe they they were too uh, conservative, or whatever. And you had used a, a better term last week when you said sometimes Bowden's staff was tight in the Miami game. You know, not necessarily playing to win or playing not to lose, but just tight. Jimbo has none of that, and therefore his staff has none of that. Even when even when Miami was going four and five wide, getting the matchups on the safeties with the slot receivers that they exploited, exploited you didn't see any panic on that defense. You saw no panic on the defensive staff. They just went back to basics, and in that last couple of series – they went back to dominating the line of scrimmage, knocking the ball down, and Florida State wins. It was impressive to see him make plays when they had to. I mean, that third down throw to Bobo was really big. We'll talk defense later in the show because I want to add some perspective to uh, you know, some of the concerns that are being raised defensively. What I wanted to say about Miami, though, is so you have a, a Miami team. I, I just This is the point Miami's at, and I, they haven't been relevant since they've been in the ACC. They haven't been relevant since the early 2000s on the national landscape. But they've gotten to the point now where their mantra is win the Coastal, to the point that their quarterback tells FSU's defensive quarter, uh, coordinator after the game, we'll see you in Charlotte for the ACC championship game. Now, you know, I'd love to see that happen. Personally, it means FSU's won at Clemson. It means Miami got their act together and we get act two of it. But the fact that Miami has now had to come that far back on their goal list to put the Coastal there as their top priority, and I don't think that's a slam dunk by any means because – Despite what they're saying, until I see it from Miami, I'm not buying that this funk is not going to carry over into three more losses probably. Because what has happened the last couple of three years to Miami, they have come into the Florida State game, a couple of times put up a good effort, and then they've lost the next two or three or three out of four or three out of five afterwards. You know, they've had the, 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 the carryover of the Florida State loss, and uh, and you're right. It'll be interesting to see if that program has elevated itself another notch where they don't lose to Florida State a second or a third time, figuratively speaking, on down the road. I will say I do think Brad Kai is a really good quarterback. I mean, we had Joe Zagaki on last week, and I think that's probably an accurate what was assessment. One, what was the one thing I said I was afraid of? The, the vertical, vertical passing, passing game. game. Yeah, well, no, I agreed with he that. He is as good – he's certainly as good as anybody in the ACC – and he's amongst the top five of anybody in the country at throwing that ball down the field. Yeah, no question. But And Joe Zagaki said he's the best quarterback Miami's had since Ken Dorsey, and I think that's true, and he's got a couple more years to go. Uh, but it, it's just it's for Miami to, put, to go all in and play as well as they did in their mind, uh, I, I mean, I think they have to feel that way and still come up on the short end. It's got to be a tough week to get re-motivated. All right, well, we'll dissect this game more. We'll talk about the Steve Spurrier situation. I know, Keith, uh, I'm – I guarantee you have sentiment or stories to share about Steve. I can share an interesting one about the day he uh, left Florida the first time when we were waiting to talk to Coach Bowden about that. We'll do that later in the show. But we'll, we'll get to our uh, Seminoles.com insider right after this, and we'll talk more about FSU Miami and FSU Louisville. Stay with us. This is The Front Row. And welcome back. It is time for our Seminoles.com Insider Report. I'll remind you that Jimbo Fisher's postgame press conference streams live following every home game. In the case of last week when you beat Miami, Jimbo even extended it. 
we were downstairs waiting to get him on the radio, and Jimbo said, no, 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 it's not every year that you beat Miami for the sixth consecutive time, so please keep feeding me more questions. I'll take 17 more inquiries. Exactly, but the point is, uh, only if you were viewing Seminoles.com at the time, or if you happened to be in the room like Tim Linnefelt, did you get to uh, hear and see what Jimbo said after the game, but that's all part of uh, what you find on Seminoles.com. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. You know, they, we try to be, you know, a little bit unique in how we set that up every week. So appreciate you bearing with us on that. Uh, we've it only... It was a funny moment, for sure. <laughs> we've... Yeah, well, and, and here's another funny moment. The things you don't see or hear on the radio, I, I don't remember which game this was, but uh, basically Gene had to tape a couple of those uh, daily shows that he does with Jimbo. Mm-hmm. Long story short, there were recruits waiting this wasn't this past weekend, but whoever the three recruits were, Jimbo classified them as first-round NFL draft picks. And he said, uh, Gene, I love you, but you're going to have to come to the office tomorrow because i got three first-round draft picks sitting in my office right now, and i got to go meet with them. <laughs> and that, 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 in a nutshell, sums up uh, – Is honestly, that an NCAA violation that he rec- he commented on recruiting? Uh, no, he didn't mention them by name. Okay. And he didn't yeah, comment publicly, so it may be a violation now that I mentioned it. The rules are so murky. I think as long as you uh, you don't mention by name, you're allowed to mention that you do, in fact, recruit. That is uh, that isn't still still legal. So. Yeah, that is one of the things that you can do. All right. Well, Tim, I, all that said, uh, general impressions on a win over Miami for the sixth straight year. Hey, right, well, hey, like Jimbo said uh, on Saturday night, like you mentioned. It's not every day that you, you beat them six years in a row. Florida State hadn't done it since 1972. That was back when they weren't even playing Miami every single year. So, so yeah, take, take that take that one in and enjoy it. Now, on the uh, the more uh, micro level, I guess it was an interesting game. You know, for that first quarter and a half or so, it looked like they were going to beat them by four touchdowns, and then you saw a few of the little things that that maybe have, have come up on offense this year, uh, particularly in their in the red zone. Uh, they left some points out there. I think they would tell you that they left some points out there, and it allowed Miami to get back in it. So the other side of that then is that you know, they got down for the first time this season, faced their first deficit, and as soon as they got the ball, marched down the field and scored. So I think you know you would rather not be in that situation, but as long as you are in it, it was good to see them respond the way they did. Did you expect them to respond that way? I don't know. I don't think so, at least not then. It was kind of funny. you know. Um, it, it felt like it was such a long game. And by the time Miami took the lead, it, it had been such a long time coming since they, they were hanging around and, and moving the ball. When they finally took the lead, your, you know, your first thought was, oh, this isn't good. And then you look over over at the scoreboard, you say, well, man, there's there's 10 minutes on the clock. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just one defensive stand that, that steal the game. It was two. Miami got the ball twice. So I'm, I'm not surprised that they ended up pulling it out. But to see them have a, such an impressive drive, particularly on that third and eighth throw to Bobo Wilson that Everett Golson made, uh, was was a really impressive play and a really important play, and and one that they just hadn't yet had to make this season. So uh, one for one as far as that goes. Concerns on the defensive side, Tim. You gave up a lot of yards passing. Yeah, and and I think that's something they're going to want to tighten up. But also, Miami couldn't run the ball at all. Didn't run the ball at all. So when you look at it from a total yardage standpoint, it, it, it's not quite as alarming. I do think that that Brad Kaya is is probably the best quarterback, the best pure throwing quarterback they're going to see really maybe for the, the rest of the season, uh, definitely up to that point. And, and look, Miami's players, uh, Miami's receivers had maybe, maybe the best game that we've seen from them in a long time. Space Coley made a beautiful play, nice catch on that touchdown to take the lead. The other touchdown that Miami scored, the long pass, was kind of a fluke play, wasn't it? You, you looked at it, and in real time, you see LaMarcus Brutus coming over there, and then, you know, he, he's got this dead to right, he's going to pick it off. And 
not only did he somehow miss it, but I think he kind of got in the way and, and, and disrupted Jalen Ramsey's play, and somehow the Miami receiver was able to score it out of there and score a touchdown. I think nine times out of ten, that play probably doesn't go that way. It just worked out that way. So I'm not saying it's all you know sunshine and roses, but the, the few mitigating factors, I think. Uh, Tom and I were talking about both on the air and off the air this this thing. You, we talk about trap games. We talk about uh, games when you lose your focus. Tommy's used the the uh, uh, vernacular as a, as a hangover. You know, you know the utopia that you enjoyed at the Miami game. Do you get past it now that Louisville's coming in? What what's your general feel through uh, through three weeks, uh, three days rather of practice? I, I think they're doing okay. Uh, and Jimbo Fisher said the exact same thing. He was asked about it and. He seemed really genuine when he said, no, they, they, they've moved on. And, and I wonder, you know, sometimes you, you worry about that with a young team. But also I wonder, and this is just, just my own kind of thought here, is that with, with such a young team and so many young guys in key positions, it's almost like you wonder if they know that, that they should have a hangover, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't necessarily realize the, uh, the big picture significance or the historical significance of beating Miami the way they did or just kind of playing and. And I wonder if that factor could be at play. And well, and that was a conversation that folks had with Jimbo. Sorry to interrupt right. you, but people were asking Jimbo during the week, during Miami week last week, do these kids really appreciate how big this game is? You, you may be right. That might be the the good side of them not appreciating how big it is. I mean, I think they do appreciate it. But, I mean, look, man, it, the fact of the matter is it's different than it was, you know, 20, 25 years ago. You're asking guys who, who lost on a wide right field goal or – or beyond who, who who lost on a on a missed two point conversion, you know what it would mean to beat those guys. Well, you know nobody on Florida State's roster has ever lost to Miami, so it's just kind of a different dynamic these days. And then couple that with the fact that I think you know looking at Louisville and looking at despite their record, uh, they look like a pretty talented team. Uh, that has a way of, of refocusing you pretty quick as well. Not to digress too far, but when the two point try was unsuccessful. I had this mental image in my brain of all the failed two-point tries against Miami over the years. And I thought, <laughs> you know, this, this is one area where Florida State has not been very good. The ghost is still the present. The ghost is still there. Uh, well, I, you know I, what's, go what's ahead, funny Tim. is I was talking to, uh, to Corey Clark, our friend over there at the Tosh Democrat, and he was sort of saying, you know, if you remember those Florida State-Miami games from, from those years, it felt so similar in that they always outplayed Miami, always had the early lead, always should have had more. And then even right down to, to the you know the 13-point lead instead of the 14-point lead, it just felt like it was setting up like that the same way. And, of course, it didn't work out the same way. But it just the, the way those games always went where you just felt like Florida State was the better team and, and didn't have, just couldn't put it away uh, for the first, I don't know, three and a half quarters. This one really sort of felt that way. Yeah, Keith and I talked about that uh, earlier in the show. And I think this goes back to the point about players being ready last week, being ready this week. I'll pull out the buzzword uh, of of process that that's part of what Jimbo subscribes to. I mean, his his biggest thing that you know the point he told the team that he was most proud of after the game was that they played the next play. They didn't hang their heads and worry about just play one play at a time, play the next play. But he takes that and and extrapolates it out to the next game, you know. And so I, I mean, honestly, if you think back, I feel like during Bobby's days. And granted, they were significantly better than a lot of the ACC. But there was a noticeable, okay, this is a huge week, it's Miami. And then you're kind of cruise control, and this is a huge week, it's Florida. Part of that is because Miami and Florida were in the top five or top ten at that time. But I also think part of that is the way Jimbo addresses things. I don't, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, Tim, but he is just, I mean, every, you know, last week's win, and he'll say it all the time, means nothing if you don't win this week. I mean, so he literally turns the page every Monday and gets them refocused and gets them out there for whoever they're playing. Yeah, and, and, you know, since day one, I mean, honestly, even before he was the head coach and he was in the offensive coordinator, 
he, he preached the idea of it's very Saban-esque, trust the process, believe in the process, follow the process, and the results will take care of themselves. Now, it's, it's easy for guys like us to hear that and be like, oh, now come on, coach, you know, say something. But, but those guys actually believe that, and they do buy into that, I think. And, and so this is kind of the deal with that. You know, you, you, you prepare the same way every week. You do the same things that you do. You find a routine that works, a structure that works, and, and, you, don't, and, you, and you don't deviate from that. DeMarcus Walker said the other day something that I've heard Jimbo Fisher say a hundred times, and that's it. When the reasons for success change, will change. But until then, uh, and, and again, that's, you know, coach speak t-shirt type of stuff, but to them, it's really not. And I know people don't necessarily want to hear that, but I do think that that's part of the reason that they've been able to be so successful and be able to, to carry it on game from game, especially over the last you know three or so seasons here. Tim, as we uh, change gears and, uh, and look forward instead of looking back, I think one of the things that uh, is going to be very important this week as the uh, squad gets ready for, for Louisville is to truly understand what they're seeing on tape. Uh, this is a 2-3 and three Louisville club that's going to look like a 4-1, and 5-0 and o club on tape versus sometimes you might look at a team that's 4-0 and o or 5-0 and o and they look like a 2-3 and three team on tape. Tape on this squad is going to show you this is as talented a group as maybe you face coming uh, into game number six. Oh, no question. Uh, you know, it was really when, when the schedule was announced, I think it was considered to be one of the marquee games on the schedule. And then that, that three-game losing streak to, to start the season took some of the luster off of it. But if you take a closer look at that, you know, obviously Auburn has, has since struggled, but you, you lose to what was a, a preseason top-five team by a touchdown. Uh, a three-point loss to Houston and a three-point loss to Clemson. Look, there's a lot of teams that would struggle in that stretch, and, and if I were a Louisville fan, I'd be looking at that schedule thinking, hey, you know, what's the deal here? Uh, but since then, they, they have reeled off two straight wins, including one at North Carolina State, which, as Florida State fans know, can be a pretty tough place to play. And then another thing to factor in there is Louisville's on a bye. Uh, they were off last week. They've had two full weeks to prepare, and I know Jimbo Fisher is never a fan of that. He never, never, never likes facing a team that has an extra week to prepare. He said as much again on Monday. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I think that Louisville's about as good of a 2-3 and three team as Florida State's going to see. Uh, you mentioned their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, and, and Demarcus Walker said that, that as far as he's concerned, he's as dangerous or even more dangerous than Marcus Mariota. He's definitely faster. So uh, Louisville, if nothing else, has Florida State's attention. And, and that was going to be my next lead. And uh, with uh, even though he's just a freshman, uh, averaging 87 yards a game, rushing from the quarterback position, throws the ball not well but adequately. Uh, this is a an offense that uh, Florida State's defense is is going to have to play every snap. The big thing against Miami was the vertical pass down down the field. The big thing about Louisville is someone missing a tackle and someone talented enough to go 50 or 60 or 70 for a score on the ground. Right, and and that's such a big deal. You know, when we talk to some of those guys, and Keith, I'm sure you know this as well. It's, it's so tempting to get off of your assignment or, or try to do somebody else's job or, or, or have your eyes deceive you, especially with a running quarterback. You know, the big thing everybody says is stay in your lane, stay in your gap, do your one assignment, because if you don't, that's how holes get, get exploited in the defense. That's how a quarterback finds space to run, and next thing you know, he's running 20, 30 yards down the field. And, and to touch on your point again about him, his passing, and that's the deal with those running quarterbacks is, is they command so much respect that maybe they don't have to be as accurate a passer when there's so much space uh, you know, in the defensive backfield. At least that's the way it's, it's set up. So it's going to be a challenge for Florida State. I think it's going to be a different kind of challenge. You know, When you look at it, this will be their, their sixth game, and, and really it, it, it might be the sixth different offense for all intents and purposes that they've had to prepare for, something much different than Miami. So 
Uh, you know, that's something to keep in mind. I think that it's been a challenge uh, for those guys because they're having to adapt you know, just about every single week. The guys that have been injured uh, defensively, well, first of all, Trey Marshall comes back, and his absence or ejection early in last week's game really affected what they wanted to do defensively. We haven't gotten into that, Keith, but we can do that in, in the next segment. Uh, but but is Terrence Smith going to be back, and is Nate Andrews, you know, what percentage is he? I know he played last week. Yeah, well, I, whatever it is, it's not 100%, and I, I think you could see that uh, when, when, he was, when he was out there. And then, you know, commend him because he's obviously – a tough, tough dude, but you can just see him walking around and running around on the field. But he's got, you know, maybe one and a half good legs. Now, as far as math on that, I don't know. Sixty, seventy-five percent—that's that's kind of just spitballing. Uh, as far as Terrence Smith goes, uh, he, he has yet to practice this week. Uh, all we know is Jimbo Fisher said that the, the swelling in his ankle is going down. Uh, it's, it's not broken, but it sounds like it's just kind of, you know, he's probably in a lot of pain. I don't even know if he can get his shoe on. Uh, so. We'll, we'll kind of wait and see. I know I do think he's another one of those guys. You know, he's so experienced that not practicing this week doesn't necessarily mean that they won't let him play if he's ready to go. I know they're hopeful for it, especially given uh, how thin they are at, at linebacker. Even with for Derek Hoskins and Lorenzo Phillips uh, being able to take some of the the load off of Reggie Northrop, they they still, uh, you know, Terrence Smith is a guy that they really cannot afford to have out for an extended period of time. And a final thought, I know we all assume he's just going to show up and run for another 150 yards or whatever, but is there any reason to think that Dalvin, in the aftermath of Miami, might be a little bit more sore and tender and uh, not able to give as much this week, aside from the uh, fact that he's facing a better defense? So uh, the idea that he's going to put up 222 is probably uh, probably remote. I think he's going to be okay, uh, mostly just because he apparently is Superman. Appar- uh, but, apparently. Uh, <laughs> But no, uh, you know, I asked about it on we asked about it on Monday, and, and, and Jimbo said, "Hey, he's as sore as we thought he was going to be." Which uh, okay, that makes sense. And, and look, I think this is kind of just going to be the normal for the rest of the season with him. It's something to get used to. He didn't practice Monday or Tuesday. My guess is they'll probably give him some work today and, and Thursday and see how it goes. And I suspect he'll he'll play Saturday. I don't think there'll be any reason not to. But I think they're going to be uh at, at more cautious than they need to be as far as ma- managing his workload during the week making sure that he doesn't exert himself too much and like he obviously can handle whatever is, is thrown his way uh on saturdays and another thing i, w- I want to mention i don't know if we're up against time but i think it's really impressive and, and jimbo mentioned this on saturday uh how in tune dalvin is with his body uh they said that that, that, that play in the second quarter which which probably would have been a touchdown by the way when when dalvin pulled up that he can feel when something's not right and catch himself and stop before it gets bad and he said that's that's the reason that he was able to work out that issue on the sideline and get back into the game he's just so good at knowing what's right and what's not right and and, and managing it accordingly and you know i think that's something that's uh, pretty high level stuff for a a sophomore athlete well one other thing uh, because i happened to be at the house watching the game on tv i probably shouldn't have mentioned that to our listeners but i had a problem (laughs) with my eye uh, that prevented me from driving uh abc had him on the clock and Usain Bolt is the fastest human being in the world. And he's been clocked at 27 miles an hour. They clocked Dalvin in a football uniform with a bad leg at 24 miles an hour. They got yeah. 24? It's interesting. Exactly. I, just, I just read an article about Leonard Fournette uh, where they had him at, I think it was 20 or 21 in his long run the other day. And I was thinking, well, that's, that's less than Dalvin. It's pretty, I mean, it's, it's pretty it's remarkable. remarkable. Yeah. No, I mean, it really, really is. And I think that, you know, you look at a guy like Usain Bolt and you think, oh, I'll bet that guy's pretty fast. 
But you look at Dalvin, and I, I think he's just so deceptively fast. You know, you don't think he's going to be that quick, and then when he gets going, man, I mean, he, he's like he shot out of a cannon. No question about it. Well, and it was uh, the cannon was aimed at the right direction last week. Uh, Miami's <laughs> seeing visions of, of him for two years running now. Hey, Tim, thanks as always for your insight. We will see you uh, bright and early for uh, brunch at the Doak this week. Breakfast. we got to have breakfast. <laughs> Can't wait. All righty, Tim. That is our Seminoles.com uh, insider, and uh, we appreciate Tim joining us each and every week. I'll remind you once more that uh, you can see Jimbo's press conference both after the Louisville game, also his Monday presser when he normally meets with the media uh, via Seminoles.com on your desktop, on your tablet. You also, uh, we haven't mentioned this thus far, can follow all the other Florida State sports, including a soccer team that's the defending national champ that, oh, by the way, just Just beat the number one team in the country and is now the number one team in the country. And I saw some articles yesterday that basically posed the question, can the Seminoles repeat? And the soccer experts answered the question, Yes. And so, uh, round ball is underway. Round ball is underway. On Friday at the Civic Center. Baseball's even playing its fall games this week. Wow. All right. We'll step aside, come back. Uh, plenty to react to from what Tim said. We haven't even talked about uh, Sark and Spurrier uh, in detail yet, but we'll do that as we uh, roll on here on the front row. This portion of the program, as always, is brought to you by Madison Social. Another big week for Mad, so I imagine. Uh, well, this past weekend, I can't even. Can't even I, I, I saw from afar. I didn't venture to Madison Social. I saw from afar when I parked on Saturday what it looked like, and it looked like a good time was being had by all. But uh, this week they'll be open for brunch. It's a perfect day to get brunch, obviously, uh, with an early start. I think they open at eight. Little tidbit here, KJ. If you are a fan of the Reuben. Uh, Madison Social, I guess they started this at St. Patty's Day, but they it was such a big hit that they break it out on the 17th of each month. Well, this is the 17th on Saturday. So double it's whammy. Chan- it's a double whammy this week if that's uh, uh, your preferred menu item. But head plus, on out to Madison start, Social. Start with breakfast and a Bloody Mary, maybe a, a croissant of some sort, and just work your way through the entire menu. You will not be disappointed. I will say that uh, the early start may afford me an opportunity to uh, – take the long way back to where my car is parked after the game on saturday i'm just saying all right that said uh let's put to bed uh, the final conversations about fsu and then we'll get to the the national landscape of college football believe it or not folks even though you've just heard uh keith and myself and tim we actually had a lot of really good ideas for guests this week and every time (laughs) i went to schedule somebody somebody else got fired or relieved of duties or quit and i kept changing my mind on who we should get and so at the end of the day you got us so hope you enjoyed it we are the we We, are the constant yes we are the constant um here's what i we haven't we haven't talked about the defense here so if you look at the concerns about all the passing yards Florida State gave up, first of all, Terrence Smith is a guy that's on the field every play, nickel and dime package, and so not having him in the middle is significant. Having uh, Nate hurt is significant. Losing Trey early in the game to the ejection was really significant because they they part of the game plan was to use Derwin James in obvious passing situations. Now, Miami throws on a lot of non-traditional pass downs. They do throw on first and second down. But if you look at a third and you're going to throw the ball, just as what uh, FSU wanted to do the same thing they did against Wake Forest, which was put Derwin James up at the line of scrimmage and and make Miami block him. And if you think about the the game that Demarcus Walker had, if you have Derwin coming from the other side or the same side, you know, Miami's going to have to account for him. And now Josh Sweat is making plays. Or, or Walker's making more plays. And that all went out the window when Trey went out of the game. 
so I guess what I'm saying, long story short, is I'm not panicked about what you're seeing defensively. I still like this group a lot better than last year. I do think Kai is about the most competent in terms of the vertical passing game. And you've got a couple guys injured and a guy you were banking on to be there left in the first quarter. Two points. Let's give James Coley a little bit of credit. Miami's offensive coordinator grew up uh, and, and tooledged under uh, Jimbo before he left to go to Coral Gables. Did a very good job in the four and five wide sets on the early downs, the first and second downs, when you don't have your dime uh, or nickel packages in. What that does is put safeties in the position of covering. So now Kelly's got to make a decision. Do I go zone or do I go man? You want to mix that up a little bit. Kaya is so good. We talked about this, the vertical passing game, that when he, after the snap, could tell that Florida State was in man coverage. They were doing a lot of side adjustments with their slot receivers to take advantage of that that quickness on a safety, and they exploited it. I mean, let's give Miami credit for executing their offense. Now, once you get down into the red zone, you can go a little bit more zone. You can be a little more aggressive. You don't have to cover as much field for as long a period of time. But let's give Miami credit for, for being able to exploit the fact that because of the ejection, because of the injuries, because of his early down, first and second down, and they were willing to throw the ball in those downs, they created situations that they took advantage of. That's something that Louisville can't do with a freshman quarterback. So that whole scenario is different um, in this game versus the prior game. Well, and I could see Derwin James being sort of a spy on Louisville's quarterback. They've used him in that role earlier when you have Trey back. Another thing that Florida State could have done, and they're close and they opted not to do it, but the freshman corners who we haven't seen yet, and I'm talking about McFadden and Marcus Lewis, they're close to being ready to play. I mean, they, they could. I mean, when I say close, they're fine physically. It's just a matter of when do you put them in the game. And do you trust them? And, and do you trust them? And, and more than that, are you willing to take the gamble if you put them on the stage of FSU Miami and say it was one of those freshman corners that gets beat by Stacey Coley instead of Tyler Hunter? How far have you set that freshman corner back now? How long does that linger? Does that become a six-week thing? Does it take till next season to get his head right? That sort of thing. I know we all talk about corners have to have short memories, but I know that that's part of the, the, the thought process for Florida State. So those guys are ready, and at some point you got to get them out there. When is the right time? I don't know. You'd love a game where you're up 24 nothing, and you can get them some, some reps that are, that are not going to impact the outcome necessarily. But that's the other direction Florida State can go, and they're just not quite there yet where they wanted to make that decision. And I would say that, that, that Coach Kelly's thought process is much like Jimbo's process in terms of how much of the playbook do I continue to open for Everett. Jimbo made the decision, Miami game, first quarter, we're going to do these things. Wouldn't surprise me. To see Kelly make some changes, even early in the Louisville game, to do precisely that. Get James in in a spying capacity. Get those young corners in in lieu of a safety and let them cover slot receivers. Because remember, Louisville's receivers are pretty good as well. They just have a freshman quarterback running uh, the show versus Teddy Bridgewater a couple of years ago. Uh, this may be an opportunity even early for Coach Kelly to get some of those youngsters in. We'll see. Yeah, so those, those parts are coming for Florida State if you're starting to ask those questions. You know, you just mentioned Everett Golson. Let's be fair to Everett Golson. We've spent four weeks here, five weeks, dissecting why does Everett Golson not look like what we expected Everett Golson to look like. All of a sudden he goes out, and, and the only thing we do is say, that's the Everett Golson we expect to see, but we haven't actually taken that a little bit further and, and, and given him the props for how well he ran the option on the first play. Some of the throws he made, and I know – 
you know, he was high on the one, uh, the near touchdown that glanced off two receivers' hands. Well, no quarterback's going to be perfect on every throw. But he was pretty doggone good this week, I thought. Most people, and I've been hypercritical, said Wake Forest, he made a progress. I didn't think he did. I got flack for that he obviously made progress in the miami game but again that's in cooperation with jimbo you know learning to call the plays and having confidence in his ability to execute the plays as they continue to to develop this relationship uh i think you've got to take your hat off to jimbo for being willing at least early in this ball game uh to really open up this offense as is human nature you're not going to go for 200 and something yards every quarter uh, so Florida State with that great fast start, there's going to be a natural fall off. And as we talked about issues in the red zone and that type of thing, I mean, if Florida State scores touchdowns, gets a couple of turnovers, you know, this game's 35 to three at halftime. That completely changes uh, the second half. So uh, a lot of progress made, continued progress needed. Uh, but I'll tell you, I was very, very impressed. And I think Florida State fans and our listeners in general uh, can look particularly at that first quarter, first quarter and a half to gauge what this offense is capable of. Now, the defense this week that they'll face will be much better. And Jimbo had consternation, uh, you know, as soon as he turned the page, which was on Sunday as he gets his mindset on Louisville. When you look at their defense, they've got two Georgia cast-offs cast off starting in their secondary. They've got the Big 12 Player of the Year starting as one of their linebackers who last year was at, at TCU. So uh, it, it's going to be a much better defense, and it'll be interesting to see how differently Florida State attacks I, I, Because I, I, FSU took advantage of Miami's linebackers last week with how they schemed. They got to the edges. Uh, they, they worked the tight end. And they took advantage of those matchups. I had a conversation on the phone uh, this morning with our, our mutual friend Gene Deggerhoff, and we were reliving the Miami game and talking about Louisville and, and that type of thing. And, and, and Gene made the comment that there's 22 or 23 transfers uh, on this Louisville squad. I didn't count to see if that's the correct number. Let's just say there's a bunch of them. And, and I made the comment, he, okay, he's Terry Bowden of Division One. You know, <laughs> when Terry was in North Alabama and a little bit at Akron, you know, uh, he, he would take the kids that had some type of issue, had to leave a program. They would go to Terry's program and, and uh, right, wrong, or, or, or di- different, Louisville seems to have been the, the attractor of those kids. Two things there. Number one, uh, that means that they're very talented, okay? Uh, but in terms of negative, that also means, and we say this about junior college transfers as well, once a kid has had a problem or once a kid has an issue, there's a reason they had that issue. So when you bring them into your program, you're bringing them in with whatever that issue was and managing that issue or or helping them to stay away from that issue, you know, you've got to have a unique set of coaches and a unique set of administrators that are willing to do that. So in one hand, I'm saying hats off to Louisville because they're giving kids a second chance. But I'm also pointing out that poses this old different set of problems uh, that have to be managed, and, and they're each one unique and different. Well stated. Uh, final thought on Louisville, just I'm looking at the depth chart right now. Go, jumping back to the offense, <clears throat> we talked about the freshman quarterback. They actually have five freshmen starting on offense, two sophomores, two juniors, and two seniors. So they're pretty young offensively, too. I like FSU's matchup defensively against their offense, if they can obviously contain a very speedy quarterback. Our next segment, uh, we'll, we'll shift focus. Uh, you remember years ago, Bobby Petrino did what in the middle of coaching the Atlanta Falcons? Said bye. Quit in the middle of the season. Same thing Steve Spurrier did earlier this week. We'll react to that when we continue on the front row. Yeah, we should be back at school. 
And we're back on the front row. We've talked an awful lot of Florida State football, but it's been a busy, busy week in college football. We haven't discussed the University of Florida's issues at the quarterback position or the news about Steve Spurrier. And I posed that question. Are they related? Uh, Well, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe if he ends up being an assistant coach at Florida now that he's out. No, I, I, you know, Steve Spurrier is, it occurred to me this week that Steve Spurrier is sort of, he's what Twitter is. He's got no filter. If you, I mean, if you follow Twitter and you're not on it, Tom can appreciate this. People just tweet out things that, that they don't necessarily they – haven't, they haven't wrestled with what the context is or what they actually said. And Steve's been doing that his whole life. I mean, he just he takes barbs, throws them out there, and, and has fun with it. And he would be perfect on Twitter. I don't know if he has, if he has an account. But more to the point, okay, the end – the finish line was in, in sight. He's 70 years of age. Uh, he had all off season to contemplate this. He knew what he had coming back. He went to SEC media days and got feisty when people asked him about having to recruit at this age and having to deal with the negative recruiting that goes with it. Three weeks later, he hastily called a press conference to chastise the media for implying that he's not going to be around for four years. And then five games into the season or six games when his team's two and four and oh and four in the league or whatever the record is right now, he just up and quits on a Monday. Now, I, don't, I have plenty of respect for Spurrier when you look at what he's done. He won at Duke before Cutcliffe. Other than Cutcliffe, nobody's done that. Nobody had won at Florida till Spurrier got there. Nobody wins at South Carolina. Got a lot of respect there. I, I'm just not convinced that, that, this, and, and that this was the best thing to go and, and, and to do. And let me finish, and then I'll let you weigh in. To me, it's sort of the equivalent of just common courtesy. If you're going to quit your, your job, you at least give two weeks' notice, you know, but but he didn't even bother to do that. He said, I'm out the door now. And uh, I, I think they could have created a clean enough break by him just saying, I've decided this is going to be my last year, but I'm going to coach out the season. It would have allowed them to turn the corner on recruiting. They still get the jump start on hiring the next head coach uh, instead of just doing what he did. I, I equate Coach Spurrier uh, with, with a bully, but along the lines of the smart aleck. You know the, the the guy that had that sheepish grin and 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 was good enough in other areas. It, 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 you know it, it, his wife Jerry is a wonderful lady and 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 Coach Bowden told me a long time ago that one of the things he looks at in coaches, whether they're head coaches or assistant coaches, is the stability of the relationship. How are their kids? You know what are their parents doing? You know what, what do you? How's that nuclear family? Because if that nuclear family's intact, then there's some quality things about that guy that that you can build upon and and Steve had all of that but he but he was a smart elk he was an instigator he was he he would go with the barb well one of the things that's associated with that is is those people sometimes are also a little bit spoiled now i know coach spurrier worked very hard he won the Heisman. Uh, he got into coaching. He he, but but he didn't like to recruit much, and he would make comments about how his staff didn't work as hard as other staffs. There's other things in life. Well, this is made, just a game. He made those comments at the NFL level. Like, exactly. What are these guys doing? Exactly. And two years later, he was out of the league. And and therefore, once those types of people get pushed into a corner, Tommy, and this is a gross oversimplification, but they just quit. They just throw their hands up and walk away. He basically did that at Florida. He quit in a day at Florida. If you go back and research, he had one conversation with Foley, and the next conversation was he was out of there. He's done it here this time. And and that simply speaks to 
the the mentality and the type of person. He gets credit for the longevity. He gets credit for the body of work. But you don't quit in the middle of the season unless you've got a health issue. You go to the administration and you say, I'm willing to go to the end of the year. Let's go ahead and, and announce it. Uh, I'll, I'm announcing my retirement at the end of the year. You don't walk away in the middle of it. And you can use the analogy that you used. You have to give two weeks in, necessary, you know, in, in certain employer situations. Only those that think they are bigger than normal just turn around and walk away. And unfortunately, that is what Coach Spurrier did, and he should be um, appropriately chastised for that. Yeah, but he's not really being appropriately chastised for that, uh, I don't think, because uh, he was so successful on the field. He's well-revered in the SEC. A lot of the college football media is rooted in the SEC and covers the SEC. I'm not saying they're giving him a pass, and I'm not trying to totally trash Spurrier. He had a great career, and frankly, I, I miss the FSU Florida days when it was Bowden Spurrier. I mean, it was fun. It was at its height, and, and he knew how to throw in a barb, and I got tons of respect for, for what he's done throughout his career. I just don't think that was handled uh, in the right way, and, and you seem to agree on that. We've only got a few minutes, so I'll, I'll shift gears. Uh, well, i got to tell the one story that I teased earlier. So when he quit at Florida – 2001 or it was after the 2001 season right so it might have been early 2002 i don't i don't remember the exact time frame uh the internet was clearly around but it wasn't quite the way we are now so the stories were all over espn.com that he was resigning so everybody just as this week people have talked to coach bowden to get his reaction to spurrier quitting we went to bowden's office that day to get his reaction well he would not speak to anybody about it because he did not believe it even though it was being reported by 50 you know, pick your college football reporter. He would not come out of his office to talk to us until he got a fax on University of Florida letterhead that stated that Steve Spurrier had resigned. So two and a half hours later, we have the fax in hand, and he comes out of his office, and he gives us a soundbite. And the best part of the story is he answers all the questions the way you'd think Bobby was. Steve was a great competitor. No, he never really bothered me. Always enjoyed competing against him, blah, blah, blah. Finish up. He looks right at the camera. He says, is that off? I said, yep. He says, woo just like that. <laughs> and then walks back in his office. I mean, it was vintage Bobby, but it's just so funny looking back on that because that was not that long ago, but he waited on the facts before he was even going to. Well, my, my silly, dumb Coach Spurrier story uh, involves golf. And obviously it's well known that uh, Steve enjoys playing golf and is very good at golf. Uh, I happened to be in Jacksonville, had an opportunity to play uh, over there, and and uh, we go up to the first tee, and we're waiting just a minute, and this other foursome comes up that has the tee time ahead of us, and I look, and I look, and I look, and it's Coach Spurrier. So he's playing in the group right ahead of us. There are 14 driving holes on a golf course. I tried to hit him on all 14. <laughs> I was the first one off the tee. My part, playing partners were going, they're too close, they're too close. I don't care. I tried to hit him 14 times. As well, is this the, is truth. This isn't just oh, that you played bad. You oh, honestly I was took honestly game. trying to hit him. Okay. I didn't get close. <laughs> I mean, the, the golf gods were protecting him. I'm not a very good driver anyway, but I hit a couple of three really good drives that should have been bouncing off a golf cart that would land about 10 yards short. Uh, I tried, folks. I tried, but I couldn't even hit him with a golf ball. Seminole Nation will send you some thank you cards. I guess. <laughs> All right, well, you know, the, the rest of the college football landscape, we really don't have an, enough to decipher. But quickly on, uh, on the quarterback situation uh, with Will Greer at the University of Florida, uh, I don't know what he took. It, it's, I, I can't even recall, and I saw Corey Clark mention this, you know, who's the last 
prominent player that had a PED issue in college football. Well, two things about that. Number one, PEDs are expensive. College kids don't have the money. And and the career is only three or four or five years. So it's, you know, the PEDs are taken generally when you're coming off of significant surgery or you're a little older in life at the professional level and you're trying to stay on top. And they cost money. My whole frustration, and you know how much I just thoroughly enjoy and love the NCAA, is you've got two separate sets of tests. You've got NCAA-administered and and, and governed test, and you've got the school test. The PEDs are under the NCAA test, and, and there's no gray area. There's no whatever. So here's a kid who took an over-the-counter thing. First of all, I'm not a scientist. I don't understand how drugs work on the body. I was too scared to take recreational drugs and didn't have enough money to take any other kind of drug when I was in school. Still haven't. I've never done anything. But if it's over-the-counter, how in the world can that be a problem? Well, I mean, a lot of stuff you can go to your local nutrition store, and it's marked on there. And I don't know what he it's, – it's just – yeah, it's it, it's interesting, and and you know they're appealing, but they've said that he clearly won't be back this year. Uh, we we need to do more justice to this topic because we've only got a, a minute or two here. But I mean, do you remember a player? No. What, what, what Corey said was Brian Bond. Like, how long has it been since somebody got caught? I, I, with something I don't like this? ever remember a PED situation. Never. Yeah, yeah I don't know, and it, it, it significantly alters uh, potentially the landscape of of Florida football as they go to Treon Harris and they play at LSU this week. I do think, though, we were talking earlier about Jimbo and process and turning the page and getting the players to believe. I think there's a lot of that going on at Florida right now with their new head coach who spent some time under Saban as well. And I haven't been around McIlwain enough to know if he's a process result guy the same way Jimbo is. But from the outside, it sort of feels like he's preaching the same thing down there. All right, Tom Lang is saying we've been too verbose. So I'm going to uh, be quiet. We'll come back. We'll have I'm parting. Exactly. Parting thoughts right after this on the front row. All right, just a, a little bit to, to wrap up. Keith, we, we uh, might have to do this more frequently if we're going to have this kind of news break because I don't feel that we've really done true justice to any We've time. only touched, Maybe touched the topics. FSU football, I think we've, we hashed out pretty good, but uh, we, we barely got into Spurrier, didn't talk about the Will Greer thing, didn't mention uh, Sark uh, at all. I, you know, it'll be interesting to me to see who ends up with the USC, both USC jobs. Well, and, and who makes the hiring decision? Because there's a lot of pressure on one Pat Hayden right now amongst people. Yeah, to make it'll that, be interesting. Yeah, and that job's obviously high profile, and you're and you're out in the Pac-12, and in the South Carolina job, you're in a good league, but that's a tough place to win. Very much so. I mean, uh, somebody mentioned Mark Stoops' name uh, at Kentucky, but honestly, if you're at Kentucky, they've at least got some deep pockets, and the state's a little bit bigger, and I'm not sure that that's. Well, Not a good move. For, I mean, a, things, a bad Jim, move. For one him. things Jimbo will tell you as it relates to recruiting, you need to be in a state where you can recruit in state. And there's just not a lot of kids in South Carolina because there's not a lot of population. Yeah, in see, South this Carolina. is another show topic. I mean, bottom line, if you get ten percent of the blue chippers in South Carolina, are you applying for the Maryland job? By the way, you've got. I'm not applying for the Maryland. Okay, job. just checking that too. Ten percent of the blue chippers in South Carolina is like two guys. Ten percent in the state of Florida. You know, you've got your whole depth chart filled out. All right, we're done. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We're, we're going to have to uh, you know get into overtime situation here if I don't hush up now. So we'll do that, and we'll talk again next week on the front row. 